Hello, Jenna. Hello, Bria. How you doing today? Uh, I've been better, but not too bad. Yourself? I, I think we've all been better. You know, uh, I, I can always think <laughs> of times I've been better. But you know, if you're your best all your time, all all the time. If you're if you're your best all the time, then it wouldn't be your best. It'd be your normal. Yeah, that's true. You know, gotta have the the bad days to have the good days. I guess. Otherwise, it'll mm. just be the same flavor of. No, only only good days, no bad days. Yeah, I don't. I don't nice. make any money off being mediocre. <laughs> the system is balanced in favor of me doing the best I can possibly do at all times. Why would I ever underperform? That means I'm I can't be as economically viable, and I'll be out competed and destroyed. Well, let's be honest. You know, you don't make a lot of money off being your best. Uh, being your best at the, the same time, like. I don't know. That's true. Touche, yeah, yeah. Does not value quality. It values quantity and consistency. Well, that that feels relevant today. Yeah. Uh, I brought you here to my my meeting chamber, our our <laughs> little studio, to talk about a subject that's been stewing in my brain for like not quite twenty years, like since art school. I think since like around like 2010, 2011. Yeah. It's, okay. uh, you know, I, you know, I love animals. Mm-hmm. This, this podcast basically started like talking about animals and talking about, you know, evolution. Yeah. And where things are going. And I, I feel like today's talk will be a continuation of our couple pods ago episode on techno evolution. Yeah. I think like. By the looks of it, things should touch on a few of our old podcasts and discussions. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're always just retreading the same drain. We're always just circling this this thought I have about where things are going and how we're all going to die, I guess. <laughs> but I've been thinking a long time because of my love of animals that uh, I want to th- know where the future of animals is going to be, especially since the future of humanity uh, doesn't seem so certain. It's... There's been a lot of mass extinctions in the world. Yeah. There's, there's one roughly every 23 million years. We're about due for another mass extinction. I'm and, sure. uh, you know, more than likely it's going to be caused by us. And there's a whole lot of us on the planet. So if anything's going extinct, seems like maybe we'd be on that plate of the, the extinction meal plate. Yeah, of- it seems like we're right Right at the tippy top of the the list of species we're actively pushing off this planet. I mean, yeah, sure, there's tons of us. There's a big gajillion humans. But, like, that's a lot to sustain. That's a hard, like, ball to keep rolling. And if it all comes crashing down, we think of ourselves as being pretty special. But what would come after us? Well, that is an interesting question. Well worth, I think, a very deep dive. Yes. I want to take a deep dive today into... A little something that I've been calling in my brain for the last 13 or so years. Earth's next top life I, I don't know, I, I've thought of, like, doing, like, a website, I thought of doing, like, 
a game show, but I guess an episode of Obsessive by Nature, the podcast where Jenna and me, Bria, talk about, I don't know, whatever we're obsessed with. And I guess this is something I've been obsessed with for like 13 years now. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's pretty much the definition of everything we've been uh, going on about. Whatever keeps you awake at night thinking of, I don't know, all the connection points. What has the more poseable thumbs, raccoons or squirrels? Oh, you know, I think it's raccoons. But, my, my money's on raccoons, too. But, yeah. But that's getting, that's putting the cart before the horse. That's getting ahead of ourselves, jumping the shark, shooting the gun while you're still cleaning it. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> got to talk about... way a, too often. I should probably preface this uh, with something we didn't preface uh, our last episode with, or the, the evolution episode with. I don't yeah. think we said we're not biologists and we maybe... We are by absolutely no means experts in the field. Uh, it sounds like Bri has done a lot of research on this. I have not done nearly as much. I am somewhat winging this, but that's more fun. Well, you know, this is my topic I proposed, and you didn't yeah. have better ideas, so we went with it. But like, like I said, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and this is something that I am really interested in. Like, I, I think I mentioned a few times on the pod, I'm really into... Uh, evolution and biology in my teens i read a lot of essays by like stephen jay gould and other science writers and you know i always got really good grades in biology uh, and i actually got a scholarship at the end of high school uh, for my performance on my provincial exams which included biology which was like you know i got like near damn near 100 percent on that you know that's a long time ago high school whatever right doesn't make me an expert what i'm trying to say is i read a lot I know things. I know about animals. I got a lot of animals in my life. I mean, not now. They're, but like when I was a, a, a kid, we had all kinds of pets. I oh. lived basically in the wild. And we had like every animal on earth at our house. It was Dr. Doolittle. I, I have to admit, my biology knowledge is not quite as strong. I didn't want to take high, biology in high school, and eventually I um, had to because designs stopped being accepted at the universities that I was gonna go to like design like graphic design or we actually had like a, a class that was design which involved all sorts of things like uh designing clothes designing um like furniture designing like packaging just designing stuff which i really loved and i was really into and i thought it would be a really useful class to have and they were like no no, no you can't do that so they shunted me over into biology for well I moved myself over into biology so that I could be accepted into university, um, at which stage I, I managed about a C, uh, B, B grade huh? overall. So you can talk about it on a podcast, basically. Well, I've given the subject of evolution a great deal of thought and a fair bit of research. So, well, like, then it'll then be interesting. Things, like, you don't have to know a huge amount about, I think, biology or zoology specifically to talk about things changing and, like the dynamics of like how things play out like this kind of game theory of like you know what what kind of and this you know of course it's all speculation but like it's like talking about crunching numbers and like looking at different factors and seeing how things shake out yes specific knowledge in biology will help or whatever but it's not what this game's about this game is about what thing seems kind of smart and there's a lot of them yeah. Uh, there are some factors that I've been thinking about with this. Uh, you know, like, we have to consider a few different things before we really dive into, like, 
which creature is most likely to replace humans, and I should specify, replace humans as the next intelligent species, like the next civilization, the next culture on this earth. Because animals clearly have their own cultures, they got little things they share, but like, they're gonna have like cities, they're gonna do what we're doing in some way, like... What's the most likely one to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like, let's say, the next big contender is being the cross-planet species in control of the majority of it. Because that seems to be about the role that we've had. We're, like, on on target to be able to go to other planets and explore space. And, like, we have taken up the entire planet. We exist in pretty much everywhere except the deep oceans. Like, everywhere there is land that is adapted to our bodies, we have at least some degree of dominion over. Um, and I'm not sure that that's a good thing, necessarily, but I do think, you know, we can qualify it around those kinds of, of lines. Well, you know, honestly, even if they, like, develop some kind of solar punk, like, eco uh society where they're all farmers and they don't even do any super techno stuff they don't go to space or anything like and they like live in some kind of garden of eden i guess i'd count that as civilization too yeah yes i mean that sounds pretty rad honestly it sounds like a better civilization you know i i love the idea of traveling the stars and i've always dreamed of being like a fucking space trucker or something but i'll take um solar punk style utopia any day not that maybe utopia, but certainly Garden of Eden, beautiful planet, living amongst the, the nature. That sounds pretty rad. I think as I've hinted at, or maybe I already said at least a few times so far in the pod, uh, I'm I'm becoming some kind of neo-Amish or something, I think. like <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, we gotta, this is too much. I don't like this, this technology stuff, we're going too far, we're going in the wrong directions with it. We gotta, we gotta do something different. Let's go back to when... The, the right amount of technology was there and and no more <laughs> i i mean i'll i'll make my my sort of perspective clear if i haven't before which is i i think like you know we need to adapt our technology to nature i think that is where i stand yeah i want to explore the stars i i think technology is rad and it does all sorts of cool things but i think our rampant chasing of it under the the system that we have and the way that like people seem to refuse to adapt technology to the environment we live in is going to kill us all and like you don't really get to explore the stars if you're dead yeah and i guess that's what we're kind of we're, we're going towards is like i guess the first question we have to think about is What's the most likely way for us to go extinct? Because, like, whatever apocalypse happens has a really big out, like effect on what uh, creature is most likely to replace us. Because yeah. some creatures are very smart, but not likely to survive certain types of catastrophes, right? Yeah. So, I, I think, like, you know, if we nuked ourselves out of existence, a lot of species that tend to have thrived around us would die out. And some of those are top contenders for, for like in my view taking over the the kind of tip-top place of creating the new civilization yeah yeah and the, the other thing to consider of course with most other catastrophes is they might also result in nukes happening just because of the destabilization of society yeah and competition that comes over scarce resources and you know we might end up offing ourselves when something else was already going to do it we just sped up the process 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there have been plenty of sci-fi uh, stories about like us running out of oil or, more importantly, running out of fresh water. Yeah. Um, both concerns we still have to this day. Um, but, yeah, like if we if we run out of, say, fresh water, for instance, that would lead to a lot of people dying. It would lead to a lot of destabilization. Not everybody would die, though, because like yeah. there are ways to get access to water again, but then there would be fights over getting access to that water. Well, if it was a problem where there's such a water scarcity that it kills all the humans, I got a feeling other species ain't going to fare too well there, because that's like a whole planet drying up scenario. It is, but I sus- that's one of those situations where I think like if we ran out of like most sources of fresh water, we'd hit destabilization well before we hit, like, actually running out of water, at which stage we'd, mur- like, murder ourselves. Yes. In well, order yeah, to we, access Well, we're it. going there. We got, the, we got the climate change happening, we got the droughts, we got the climate refugees, and Band of the Earth is becoming, you know, less uh, habitable, the, the equator there. So it's not inconceivable that this future you describe is happening and then it's going to lead to global destabilization and a nuclear war. Yeah. I could see nuclear war seems like a pretty, if there's an apocalypse happening and by the way, please do not freak out. We're not saying, yeah, we're going to die in a nuclear war. It's if humans go extinct, very good chance. I think it comes from some kind of nuclear war. Yeah. I think like nuclear war is one of the ones that would like wipe us off the planet. Like, because we're like cockroaches. And very few... Yeah, we really are. You know, you'd need a low enough population density for our species to go extinct, which is like, you know, you're technically talking a few thousand individuals in the same place. So, like, we would have to have eliminated 99.99999 recurring percent of the population um, in order for us to, like actively all die off as a species yeah is it you know non-replacement levels you can have droughts you can have food shortages you can have any number of crises that could cause really big problems for like global civilization but those aren't extinction causers yeah so we're looking at big global catastrophes like a nuclear bomb a nuclear war but Beyond that, like you, you've got um, a pandemic. Of course, there could be some yeah. kind of super illness that humans are just not able to deal with that eventually gets all of us. That's a that's the most benign one. That's the one that seems, if it doesn't end in a nuclear war, it's most likely to leave the habitats intact and the yeah. widest variety of creatures on the planet currently able to thrive and, and evolve into whatever they might be. Yeah, and as we all know at this point, is scarily closer than we would have liked to have admitted. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know that I, I don't mean to stoke anybody's anxiety. I think, you know, there's a lot of things that we've shown that we can pull together as a species um, to sort of deal with, but also we still haven't actually fucking dealt with COVID, so... Yeah. You it's, know. It's easy to forget that one. I, every once in a while I'll see some, like, you know well-behaved queer on on the bus it's always like some lesbian or somebody right like somebody Mm. who like i'm gonna follow the rules and do the right thing or they're not even following the rules i'm gonna do the right thing even though everyone else in society has moved on and pretending that this isn't an issue just because it's like old people and immune compromised people who are getting sick and dying at this point like i'll admit it i don't wear a mask anymore i don't 
I mostly, the only times I wear a mask these days, if I'm completely honest, is when I'm feeling a little under the weather. And yeah, then, yeah. to me, it's like a politeness thing. It's like, I'm feeling a little under the weather. I don't want to potentially spread whatever the fuck I've got going. And I always have a mask on me. Because, you know, if you yeah. go somewhere where they ask for one or you're around somebody, it makes sense to have one on or something. You've yeah. got the option. That that has been my approach as well. It's like very much, I want to be like cognizant of others i it's clear nobody else is like taking the precautions particularly seriously we're past the point of mask mandates and all of that kind of stuff but i'll have one because there are some people that i don't want to risk spreading stuff to and like i past a certain point it becomes a hassle that fogs up my glasses 24 7 so i get annoyed with it which isn't a great reason but like you know it's hard to put a mask on every day when everybody else isn't, if I don't have a compelling reason to right this minute. They're not my favorite. I don't like wearing a mask if I can avoid it. If I can just, like, you know, this is going to mess up my makeup and stuff. Why would I... Oh, oh, we could save lives? Yeah, but have you considered my lipstick? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen... Did you see those, like, see-through masks the, that people had so oh, that they could show off their makeup still? That's a terrible idea, because how do you mouth fuck you under your breath when somebody pisses you off? Well, this is the interesting one, is there are ones that were specifically... And usually, I, I know they were specifically badly designed for the purpose of showing off makeup, because they don't actually work super well as actual masks. Um, the other is... The kind which helps people with uh, disabilities, like sign language, um, oh, for yeah. instance, to read lips. Because some people, you know, if you're speaking, it was apparently a huge problem for a number of people that they couldn't couldn't read people's lips, um, which is something that they've come to rely on in order to properly, like, communicate. That makes, yeah, that would be really, that would have been like an apocalypse of sorts for, uh, you know, deaf people, because, yeah, this huge thing you rely on is suddenly gone. Yeah. I mean, it must have been, honestly, quite quite upsetting. Not to mention all of the other, like, things that it affected for disabled people. Like, I know there, there were a number of places that were having difficulties with having as much public transit and stuff like that. And at least certain people stranded. So this has shown us the the our limitations, our inability to effectively respond to a deadly illness... And just how tenacious it can be. It can stick around for years. It can be hard to get rid of. It can spread all over the world. And if there was a really bad illness, I think it is not unreasonable to think that it might cause the extinction of human beings. Or at least cause enough extinction that there's only small pockets of human beings left over that are themselves and they end up dying out from some other thing. Because it's really easy for a small group of organisms to suddenly be wiped out yeah yeah we we've seen like i mean that definitely has happened a good few times another you know another thing in that category is like that uh, the, the tale of bananas and how we lost an entire like subset of the banana species because there was a disease that affected it and we just didn't do anything to prepare the monoculture that we had and so it just died off i don't blame them there's those kind of bananas that taste like the fake banana flavor which is the best flavor i i would agree i really like that fake banana flavor weirdly i like it way more than actual bananas oh yeah me too and i love real bananas but and yeah to be clear these are real bananas really yeah regular bananas are to me oh 
Weirdly enough, I love banana bread. Hmm. I guess it's the cooking changes it. Yeah, there's something about it. And I think the texture. The texture drives me mad. We'll put the, the apocalypse, uh, banana bread apocalypse on the list then. <laughs> but I feel like we've got like a couple tiers of apocalypse happening here. So yeah. like nuclear war is pretty severe. That's going to upset the global ecosystems pretty badly. Uh, yeah. Pandemic, depending on how it goes, is not as bad as I don't think it's going to upset Earth's ecosystems. I think the other one that's worth considering, not to like get, we don't want to get overcomplicated in like talking about apocalypses and like, because there's a gajillion different things that could happen, yeah. uh, is an, a, a comet, an asteroid impact, something from space hitting us. That would be like a nuclear war, but I think arguably worse, uh, yeah. given what we know about how it went down with the dinosaurs. Like, it would just wipe out everything. Like when the dinosaurs went extinct, the KT extinction, uh, nothing on land over 20 pounds lived. So that that's a pretty big bottleneck or rather small bottleneck. Yeah. Uh, there is one other. So I absolutely agree. I think asteroid is a perfect example. One other thing that I'd like to posit, which is a somewhat positive option or outcome is that we move off this oh, planet. Oh, yeah, Garden Earth, yeah. And, like, yeah, either leave it to develop on its own, or, for whatever reason, humanity here basically dies out due to lack of resources, lack of energy, lack of whatever. But we'd presumably leave the, the structures of our society behind. Yeah, so... I agree with that. I think that's a great thing to include in our tiers. And we don't have to get wrapped up in the specific, like, like specific thing that causes each apocalypse. But if it was like, we've got, say, three tiers of, like, severe ecosystem disruption, like total planetary disruption, uh, less severe ecosystem disruption, and then non-ecosystem disruption. Yeah, these are kind of our three tiers, say, of yeah. like apocalypses and and what will be ending humans on this planet and then affecting whatever is going to be coming afterwards. Yeah, I think this is this is a fair thing. Yeah. So yeah, our tiers. And so if we've got our tiers in place of uh, the, the what's likely to cause the apocalypse, the next thing to consider is uh, like, okay, what are the factors we are using to determine something's candidacy as Earth's next top life form? Uh, obviously, intelligence, uh, how big brain something is, that's a really important factor. Yeah. If it doesn't have reasoning and puzzle solving, it's, it's going to probably have a hard time forming technology at least before something else does right yeah because like yeah i'm sure anything given enough time could get there we started from humble origins right but like but maybe someone else will get there first humans got there first and we kind of bogarted the whole role from the other hominid species that were competing with us and now like highlander there's only one yeah so you know <laughs> intelligence is up there but it's not the end all be all uh hands tool use can yeah. you manipulate your environment? There's lots of smart creatures that don't have the ability to manipulate their environment. That's going to be a big factor. Like, I think an interesting thing, though, is like birds, like crows, which are on our list of top contenders. We'll get to that. They're super smart. They don't have hands, but they do make tools. 
Yeah. So we do have to think about that too. But basically yeah. you need not just intelligence, but a means to enact your intelligence on the world, whether it's hand, beak, or tentacle. Yeah. Uh, the next one is social structure and language. So do they live communally or are they solitary? It's not a huge hurdle to get over like something being more solitary to becoming more communal, but it is something to think about, yeah. especially when you think about creatures that are extremely communal, but not necessarily very intelligent, like ants. Yeah. Ants are a kind of an interesting contender because they are everywhere and super tenacious and they have these complex societies. They just don't happen to be very smart, as far as we can tell. Well, the interesting thing about ants is individual ants aren't particularly smart and colonies are surprisingly intelligent because the way that they communicate is kind of like the synapses in our brains where they'll send off signals that get passed to all the other ants that they encounter. And when they'll send off, that's why they like travel in a line and you'll see two lines often like crossing paths. It's a point where they're signaling and it's kind of like a neural pathway. Um, and apparently wow. some of these structures work a little bit like that in anthills and it can become a much more complex organism overall as a whole colony. That makes total sense, though, because you've got this sort of, just like you have convergent evolution, yeah. the same structures evolving across species, like think dolphins, sharks, and ichthyosaurs, completely unrelated creatures that all look very superficially similar and live very similar lives for the most part. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the same problems get solved the same ways. And that also goes into like root structures, uh, dendrites and like the, the, the nerves mm. in your brain and nervous system, your, your brachia in your lungs, bronchioles, I don't know, you know, the, the little, the, the, the branching things, the alveoli oh, or whatever yeah. your lungs. And then of course, systems, star systems, galaxies, like, they also follow similar patterns and sometimes hippy-dippy types are like, oh, man, that shows that there's, like, God at work or whatever. This, you know, nature follows divine geometry. Like, yeah, maybe, but it, maybe it's like, <laughs> this is an efficient shape yeah. that works. And the cookie crumbles a specific way. The laws of physics always play out the same. You're going to solve the same issue in the same structural way each time. Just that's who's going to get to the finish line first that shape gets to the finish line first. I mean, some people could argue that there's a, a spiritual, um, I don't know, awakening to be found in that that pattern that keeps repeating, even though it's the most efficient. It's sort of incredible that our universe has created the rules that have created these patterns. Oh, yeah. It's it's, um, it's following the Tao. It's the way, man. It's like the... <laughs> it's, it's being in touch with just a sense of, hey, I might not fully understand this greatness that we all come from, but we all seem to come from some kind of common factor. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's fascinating, but it does, it does mean that we can, like, look at these sorts of things with a, a degree of, like, well, there is a, de a, a certain amount of, like, We've encountered a number of, like, breakpoints as a species, and we can use those as, as kind of gateways to determine what species might be likely to pass them in the future. And, like, we can be fairly sure that a lot of these, a lot of those kinds of situations will come up for all these different species. And, like, yeah, it's interesting to see that, like, okay, something like an ant colony, I've, I feel like it could have the potential to be, like, a, a species-level thing because of that kind of efficiency. I mean, if we look at even feudal, um, like, our own feudalist 
past, we structured our societies a little bit like an ant colony. You know, you had a, a lord and lady and they were collecting the majority of the food and they used that to like handle where new um, developments were going and what they were doing or fighting other other groups. And like you were often born into whatever class or caste system that there was under feudalism. If you were a peasant, you were typically born to peasant parents. Um, maybe if you were lucky, you might switch over to a different job, depending on the need. But oftentimes, the blacksmith's son became the next blacksmith. Because you don't need 50 blacksmiths in town. You only need one. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or two, you know, depending on your number of people. So it's like... Yeah, I could see a structure like that really working to build something in the long run if it was kind of like biologically built in as opposed to just an adaption that we picked up along the way. Now, I think, you know, the the advantage of uh, civilization, technology, and like intelligence and culture over like biological, like assigned like forms, physical forms, yeah. is that flexibility. Like humans can change jobs. Humans can adapt to new environments. We can make a new tool to do a new job. Like it's more efficient. It's like in, in the techno evolution episode, yeah. we were kind of talking about that, like how we can adapt. Whereas if you've got a specific body that's been evolved for a specific task, well, too bad if there's a new task you have to do, you've got the wrong body for it. Yeah. And so that is a very powerful thing that they could tap into, say, a hypothetical future ant civilization. Yeah. But they may find themselves coming up against a, a need to be flexible in some capacity that perhaps ants, ants are pretty flexible in a lot of ways now, but not fully. There's still ants at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, you know, and that's that's something that I, I think is very much about the, the balancing and the weighing of, of these different species against one another mm. so i can envision this be uh, a society that could grow out of something like that but i'm not sure if it would be the best adapted because i think individuality has an ability to circumvent group dynamics in a way that can be very smart like we've seen throughout human history we've seen um like massively outnumbered sides be caught by adaptability and intelligence rather than just sheer numbers and, like, if you've only generated a bunch of the same thing as your soldier ants or what have you, and your opponent was like, well, we took a bunch of people whose job was hunting, except now they hunt your soldiers. Turns out they're way more efficient at it. Yeah. Like, we, you know, or, um, I mean, we've, we've had so many wars throughout history that have played out where the people that did some stupid, clever trick were the ones that won. Um, yeah. Well, this is a common thing to extinctions. Whenever you have an epoch of extinction, like the Permian extinction or the KT extinction, the, the Cretaceous one, uh, it's you have creatures that they've been existing within an ecosystem, within like a, a meta game mm. of life and competition and how the, the environment is. And in that they've reached a certain level of complexity. They've been evolving for a long time within a set of circumstances and become more and more specialized at surviving within those circumstances to the point where they're the best at it. No one can compete with them. Like nobody could compete with the British Imperial, like Royal Army and Navy. Like they yeah. were the best in the world, right? Dinosaurs are the biggest and the baddest. These yeah. creatures, they become the best at their particular role. 
and then things change. There's a shift. And then whoever is better able to adapt to that, they're not super specialized. They're not locked into a particular form, but actually they can handle a, a, a bunch of different circumstances. Yeah. And then they, they were able to adapt to the new circumstances, perhaps take advantage of or victimize the old masters of the old world. And then uh, through that flexibility and non-specialization, they're able to thrive and expand into new roles within the new ecosystem. Uh, which I think kind of leads nicely into our next like final point to consider is likelihood to go extinct. As it don't mm. do you a lot of good. You could be the smartest whale on the planet, but if there aren't very many whales, then maybe you're not in the best position to become Earth's next top life form. Yeah. And so we're looking at population numbers. That's a big one. If something's close to extinction already, not a strong candidate. Habitat security is kind of tied to that. Like, can this thing live just anywhere or does it have to live somewhere very particular? And then the final one is ability to deal with humans. Can they put up with our bullshit? Do they like living in the ruined humans landscape of, you know, this devastated pre-apocalypse we've already made for so many creatures to live in? Yeah. Can they live in burning garbage? Well, also, I think a, a, a subset to consider as part of that is like if they could make use of the ruins of human civilization yeah. to speed up their own um civilization building sooner there's a whole bunch of structures they could at least be living within hiding within surviving the yeah. crisis if they're already used to humans and they're already used to like human-like environments and have been living amongst humans to some degree they are much more likely to be able to adapt the, what we leave behind to their own needs and to their own uses but the caveat of that is like again if they live within a human populated area and we nuke ourselves out of existence they're much less likely to survive yeah yeah and also an important thing to note is human-made structures are not going to last geological spans of time eventually a lot of what we've got on this earth is going to be gone like within hundreds if not thousands or thousands if not hundreds of years like we we have a lot of hubris for our structures but a lot of them aren't going to stick around it's going to be a matter of Who's nearest to the most lasting human structures, I suppose? Yeah, well, this is an interesting this is an interesting little side note because they apparently recently discovered um, what was so special about Roman concrete. Like we can now remake Roman concrete. Oh, neat! And Roman concrete has lye mixed in with it, but like quite large concentrations of it. Hmm. Um, but the result is that lye. I think it's lye. My like the stuff to make soap uh kind of i i i seem to remember it's lie so i you know look it up because it's really hopefully interesting. jen is not lying yeah um but the idea is that when water hits it it swells up into like a, a structure and it re-repairs the concrete every time it rains so as the concrete cracks water seeps in and it swells up and fills the cracks Wow, that's incredible. So it just sort of self-reinforces it, like, self-reinforces throughout its entire lifespan, which is why some of these old Roman structures have lasted so long. Huh. And it's weird that it's taken us so long to figure this very basic thing out. Like, we knew there was salt water in there, which is part of what helps make the mix work by, like, reacting with the lie. Um, but... 
Yeah, it's it's like this really fascinating stuff. Whereas our modern modern concrete breaks within like a hundred or two hundred years at most. Well, that works well for us because we want to keep tearing things down and building new condos there to jack up the property values. So that's great. Yeah, nobody wants a. These days, it's becoming an actual problem where nobody wants it to last longer than a hundred years because if their building lasts longer than a hundred years, they can't tear it down or replace it because it becomes a, a monument. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't want that. We want to be able to commodify that and sell it for somebody else to sit on. Yep, you know, can't have, can't lose out on all that fucking precious real estate. Wouldn't want to make anything of quality. Yeah, God forbid. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder why humans are going to go extinct. Uh, So, you know, these are kind of the the main things, though. Intelligence, ability to manipulate environment, uh, social structure and language, and likelihood of going extinct. Yeah. So, you know, uh, let's let's start getting into, like, some species here. Let's start talking about animals. Uh, we've got sort of a list. I've got things that I've been thinking about of, like, what species are most likely. But I'm curious, off the top of your head, what do you think? Off the top of my head as, like, top contender or, like, a list? Um, okay, let's, let's save our top contenders. Let's not go that route. Let's just go. Let's not cut the bullshit. Let's go a long way around to milk. <laughs> all the content we can um we're just like a top 10 countdown you don't start at number one you start at number 10 okay okay so um let's start though i'm gonna start with the most obvious one then it is at the top of the list great apes apes they're mm-hmm. smart you know they they got hands yeah they they live in family groups and and sort of social units yeah the, the humans evolved from apes we're technically apes ourselves yeah, it makes sense. I think... Maybe our closest relatives would be top contenders, right? It seems pretty logical, and there's a lot to to say there. Like there's there's a lot of intelligence. There's a lot of like as you say, social structures and dynamics. There's the ability to use tools, even though several of the the great apes don't really seem to show much inclination for using too many tools. Um, if they do, it it doesn't seem to track from generation to generation all that much, at least as I understand it. They mostly just seem to, like, what, bend sticks to get termites and, like, yeah. clean things. It's very. It seems like very, very rudimentary tool use. Well, I suppose, in all fairness to other animals that use tools now, they're also pretty rudimentary. But, like, yeah, tools yeah. aren't, like, the big, a main thing for apes. It's not a huge survival factor for them. Yeah, especially I think some of the the really big ones that um, are pretty big contenders. So we got our, your gorillas, yeah, your chimpanzees, and your orangutans, the three great apes. Yeah, they all seem to mostly rely on a degree of like strength and um, social units. The social units, I think, is a very strong one, especially mm. for like gorillas. Um, I gather chimpanzees as well have quite a. Uh, intense social structure like um Dude, they're a hard one to, to parse out they've got like they're they're really closely bonded in a lot of ways and then extremely warlike and violent in others yeah now, i i have this memory of a national geographic article that i read in 2010 uh about how the chimpanzees in regions that are less frequented by humans are way different from chimpanzees that are living in places where there's more human interaction. 
Huh. Uh, and the idea being that chimps that live around humans are living in like a Mad Max chimp world that's being devastated by humans and like their uh, older generations are more likely to have been wiped out and their children were raised like Lord of the Flies, like, you know, like not properly socialized. <laughs> and so they tend to be more violent and they tend to have less um, uh, complex tool use and they tend to get along better with the gorillas that they m- might live alongside. The thing is, I can find no reference to this anywhere else and i've never been able to track down that national geographic article again so i don't know maybe it's fake maybe i I, I made it up or something but i've always been interested in this idea of like maybe how we think of chimps being is not how they actually are we're just seeing them in the context of what we've made them yeah i mean that is an interesting point given that like for instance the whole alpha beta nonsense with wolves came about as something similar you know the wolves were in captivity and the guy then that wrote the original article original paper or book spent the rest of his career desperately trying to tell people that it was based on mistaken data and not how wolves actually were and nobody would listen not to mention like all the like various like racist stereotypes about different you know marginalized ethnic groups and other marginalized groups around the world where it's like some oppressive group in a society makes life a living hell for people they're oppressing, and then those people maybe act out, they end up turning to crime out of desperation, they are being criminalized on a level that other people are not, and then all of these things are, like, used as evidence of their criminality and their innate, like, degeneracy. It's like, no, you did that to them. That's that's why they're acting this way. Like, you, you push somebody until they act out and then use their acting out as evidence of why you needed to push them. Yeah. Like, so, I can, you know, I wonder with chimps there, like, do we really know what chimps are like? But I, I we can't enter this into evidence. I shouldn't have even brought it up because I can't track down the article. It's... I mean, it is an interesting thing to consider that we don't have. I... I... I think it is worth consideration, but I don't, as you say, I'm not sure we can, like, really quantify it without that kind of access to it. Um, Certainly it does imply that, like, they aren't very good at surviving around humans. Yeah, Um, well, that's the thing. I I think great apes are not great contenders. Yeah. There's not a lot of them. They, They really don't do well with humans. And, you know, as smart as they are, and they got the hands, they got social groups, but... They're not, they're not really interacting with their environment that way so much. Yeah. It does bring to mind a, a, a sort of cousin of sorts being baboons, for instance, which I have some experience with um, having had them in South Africa. I would never have considered baboons as a strong contender, so I'm really curious about this. Yeah, so from from my experience with them in, in SA, they travel in groups. Uh, they have pretty tight-knit sort of uh, social setups. Um they seem to the the group seem to contain individuals from all the way from like absolute infants all the way up to old and dying baboons they seem to have some degree of care for their elderly and they're extremely good at interfacing with humans though often in extremely aggressive ways so most people have to be a little bit afraid but there are a number of them that um break into people's homes in SA and like raid their fridges and things. And, you know, as a, as a point of reference, a lot of the homes that they break into are specifically set up to prevent people from burgling them. Like 
burglar bars and alarm systems and all of these kinds of things are common features in homes in South Africa, like ubiquitous, basically. Um, and baboons are able to just get past most of them, usually through interesting tool use, and particularly tool use that we as a species discourage them from doing. Um, there was one in particular that was well known in my neighborhood for I think a period of a year and a half to two years before they eventually unfortunately hunted him down um, that had broken into like 30 or something different people's homes Wow! and like you know eaten all their cat food eaten their like <laughs> the good stuff <laughs> strewn their fridge contents across the floor looking for things that where's they more could... cat food yeah <laughs> like honestly really really smart and capable of manipulating all sorts of things that we wouldn't have thought to it sounds like baboons are more used to living around humans than yeah much more um i would say like their interactions with humans whilst often as i say aggressive much more like adapted to dealing with humans from what i understand now i mean like i know that they'll have a different structure away from humans but i gather they seem to be pretty pretty all right dealing with people well, according to some quick research here, there's about a million baboons in the world, which isn't a whole lot, but that's yeah. more than any of the other great, like, and I know they're not great apes, but any of the great apes, I think, that's pretty good, I think, as far as primates go, a million, so yeah. their numbers aren't the worst, and they, they live in a wide range of ecosystems, from tropical rainforests to deserts, and, and they do a lot of different hunting, it looks like, the different ecological niches and different climates. Yeah. Those are all important factors. Yeah, I have definitely seen them using sticks and stuff. Um, still relatively rudimentary, but like between using sticks to like poke windows open or stuff like that, you know, and again, being able to manipulate doors and windows and latches and uh, stuff, similar type things, that's that to me puts them like pretty high up there. I, yeah, I think I'm convinced. I'm kind of inclined to think among the great apes, baboons are the strongest contender on their numbers, their ability to deal with human bullshit, their yeah. their social uh, groups. They've got the large groups. They hunt. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty aggressive, which actually might be important, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, they sure are. <laughs> yeah, I think they're, they're hitting a lot of sweet spots. I'm, yeah, I'm converted. Baboons, they win this tier. Sorry, great apes. Yeah. Let's, I, any thought, final thoughts on apes or baboons? I feel like there are... Uh, apes and baboons show, like, so many interesting different social dynamics that it is interesting to see. Like, I know there's certain monkeys that use, like, sex as a form of, like... Not quite currency, but, like, a, a kind of social bonding agent. Oh, yeah. They're um, just always boning. Yeah, like... There's there's a number of different social structures that I think run the gamut within the, the like ape and monkey subset that I think warrant some thought over possible like directions because I still think it's possible that maybe like another species that's even more cooperative starts teaching their young more intelligent tool use that could be like a real accelerator yeah. But otherwise, I would say, yeah, for me, baboons sort of take the category for now. Well, I'm, I'm actually now reminded, of course, of that little viral story that went around the internet a few years ago. Of the, the, but it was like a group of baboons and all the males ate poison garbage and died. And so oh, it was just the females left and they raised the young and they like didn't teach them to be violent. 
and they were like much nicer and well adjusted of, as a social group and like you know yeah. the males too like the males that were raised by like all these like single mothers were like gentler and didn't learn to be aggressive the way their fathers would have been yeah and so i think this is interesting because it shows culture yeah the baboons learn they they behave based on what they're taught yeah what they're taught and what's acceptable within their social group you know like because i'm sure that probably some of those uh young kids were violent at times and their mothers probably rather ungently corrected them <laughs> yeah and like they wouldn't they wouldn't let any aggressive males come to the group after that i believe like they kind of stuck to their own i don't know what happened with that group in the end but like yeah, yeah made for some good internet points for a lot of people i know posting that story yeah, but, I definitely yeah. remember seeing that as well, yeah. But yeah, baboons, they're smart, they're feisty, I think they are a pretty good contender. Yeah. Well, we could spend, uh, you know, all day talking about any one animal. We gotta move on, we got we got a lot of different species to try and get through here. Yeah. Uh, the next one on the list that I think a lot of people would think of is like, Oh, that's that's pretty high up there. Uh, is dolphins and whales? Yeah, so dolphins and whales are really interesting because, like, the ocean provides the opportunity for for mammals to grow really big. In fact, they kind of need to grow bigger than average um, because you need to have enough like mass to basically keep yourself warm. Mm. Because, you know, we're warm-blooded and all yeah. of those kinds of the things. The water's going to suck all that heat right out of you. Yeah. Which is why, like, you know, whales have go- grown so big. It's part of the reason they've grown so big. Um, but it has left them in a position where most whales have very few to no predators. Because of the lack of predators, it puts them in a rather unique position in that, you know, they don't have to deal with um, being hunted down. So, but that also maybe like reduces the evolutionary pressure to, to adapt somewhat because they've kind of reached a very comfortable position. Um, dolphins, on the other hand, seem to have a lot more like predators to fight. They also seem to display in some respects slightly more intelligence, despite the fact that whales have considerably bigger brains. Um, whales do seem to show a, a surprising amount of intelligence from what I remember. Well... From what I remember learning from the documentary Blackfish, uh, mm-hmm. is that uh, whales actually have much larger brains than us, of course, and more neural connections than us. Brains mm-hmm. seem to have actually more powerful brains than we do, particularly in processing emotions. They feel way more than we do. The physical sensations as well as going on in their heads. Because they've got such complex social structures and like what other whales are doing really matters. So whales really do seem to be very smart. Possibly by some standards, quote unquote, smarter than people are. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Because it's like they have all this intelligence, but as best we can tell, they haven't built... I mean, I guess in some ways they've built societies that span the entire oceans, um, which is pretty impressive. Um, and I guess they don't really need houses in the same way that we do. So they might not build, like, structural civilizations, but 
That's an interesting thought, actually. It gets to a place of like, okay, so whales, very smart. Social groups. They're, uh, not a lot of stuff kills them, uh, aside from uh, one very notable exception to that, which we'll put a pin in that because I don't want to dwell on it too long while I go through this. Uh, But also they live in the ocean, which is a pretty good place to survive an apocalypse for the most part. Yeah. And they span the whole ocean. They could go around the whole globe so they can move. Yeah. Which, these are all great points for them. But, going back to that pin we just quickly put in there, they do have that one predator, and it's a really bad predator to have. And it's us. It's humans. It's, we we like their spermaceti or whatever. We make perfume out of them or whatever. We eat them. Yeah, what's that stuff called now? Oh, oh, ambergris. Yeah, ambergris. Yeah, Yeah, like the the guts in their guts or whatever. It's some nasty whatever that they puke up and, you know... That stuff. Um, people kill whales all the time. And, and whales, there's not a lot of them. And they seem a little precarious, even though they live in the ocean. And it could feasibly be, depending on what kind of apocalypse takes us, uh, humans are driven to hunting whales more. Because we're trying not to hunt whales these days. But we could be like, dang, we need food. Let's go hunt those big cows of the sea. Well, I was going to say, I don't know if we still have the same industrialized whaling industries um, that we used to until relatively recently. I seem to remember that there was one or two countries which were still, like, heavily into It's basically, I think, Norway and Japan left. Yeah. Um, But, like, you know, whilst we might hunt them more if we were, say, destabilized and in a much more precarious situation as a civilization but i think our numbers would be small enough and the inability to do it at the sort of like industrialized scale that we were doing at might help them in that category but i i think something that's maybe a little more uh pressing as to whether or not they would look into like whether they could produce a a kind of civilization as we would understand it would probably be the lack of any reason to that's what yeah i kind of got lost there thinking about all these different factors going towards them as pro-civilization uh but yeah like whales could be very smart and just not have any reason to do any kind of tool use or or anything they're just oh i'm I'm doing great i'm gonna keep sifting like with my baleen and eating krill or whatever like i don't need to have a, a tool to do something i'm doing my job just fine like think of sharks sharks very different animals from whales despite some superficial similarities they're almost completely unchanged in the millions, hundreds of millions of years they've been on this earth because they live in the ocean and you only have to do so many things in the ocean to survive. You got to swim in three dimensions. You got to be able to find food and you got to be able to get the food and not be food yourself. Yeah. And if, sharks have that down to an art, a science. They, yeah. They're the best at what they do. They don't need to change what they're doing. They're until mean old humans came along with boats and spears and nets and crap. They just they could do whatever they wanted in the ocean and they're just the best. And whales are kind of in a similar place where it's like do, do, what what more do whales really need? Yeah. I mean like I I think it would be really interesting. I suspect if whales to were to ascend to the point of having a civilization and like that kind of 
the kind of civilization we're talking about, I suspect it would be probably with the help of humans. Mm. Mm. Um, I mean, I say help, it's probably more like with the pressure of humans, because like we mess with their ecosystem. Also, we are most likely to try and reach out and possibly look at like technology and um, concepts that would allow us to communicate with them, which might bring things to a different level. Which, I mean, would be really rad. I think that'd be awesome. I'd love to have a conversation with a whale. That sounds great. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think they have that much reason to just, like, get out of the ocean, do anything other than just keep chilling there. Like... And you know what? I think all the more power to them. That's, like, in line with that solar punk, utopian... You yeah. know, possible civilizations like yeah it's just they're gonna be whale punk they're gonna be ocean punk they're just gonna hang out and vibe in the sea yeah it's not good for krill it's a, a krill apocalypse i guess but seal apocalypse but the whales they're gonna be sitting dandy i think that's the that's the real question it's like i don't know that they're a particularly adaptable species is their difficulty yeah yeah they're, they're very locked into a particular lifestyle yeah, and I think that that could be to their detriment. They if do we... learn, though. They do learn. Have, have you been keeping up with White Gladys? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. And I love this. The, the, have you heard about this, folks? Have you heard about the orca revolution that's happening off the Strait of Gibraltar right now? The orcas that are learning how to, to slam into boats and tip them over? Yeah, after, uh, what was it, a, a boating accident left uh, White Gladys um, harmed in... Yeah, Some she's way. traumatized by a boat collision, hates all boats, she's Captain Ahab for boats, Yeah, and she started flipping boats over and teaching other orcas to do it, and they work together as a team, I think, and like, yeah. they're knocking over boats, it's an orca revolution against human tyranny on the high seas. I absolutely love it. I'm here for them, we support White Gladys, we're a pro-whale revolution podcast. So that's actually an interesting one, because I think... Orcas are a species that would have more interest in, like, possibly ascending to civilization level. Um, I mean, I say ascending, but yeah, to 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 pursuing civilization style society. Yeah. Um, because they do have some predators, and then I gather they fight with sharks from time to time. I think they usually win against sharks. They usually win, but like sharks can sort of put up a, a decent fight. I know that... Depending. If, if it's a group of orcas, my money's on the orcas. Yeah, but like that's an interestingly and, and a kind of good one because it's like there's enough pressure. Like if you're talking like a blue whale or a sperm whale, a shark's not really going to bother them. Yeah. They just don't really give her. But, but orcas her hunt other whales. Yeah. And like that's actually another good point is like orcas hunt other whales. They move together as a group to hunt other whales, much like we did. Um, well, like we used to hunt like bigger species, like, uh, what was it? Uh, like mammoths or yeah, like mammoths and elephants and most megafauna and <laughs> yeah, all that stuff that went extinct, um, on most continents. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of, always made me laugh that like elephants rhinos and i guess giraffe kind of were the ones that really sort of survived humans as megafauna oh and moose oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. but like you know moose were just like you know we look a little bit like trees and we're huge and weirdly fast um <laughs> and like rhinos were like just literal tanks 
Like, we literally, you have to have special kinds of guns in order to pierce their hide. Yeah. If you wanted to hurt them. Which is why, you know, like, rhino poaching is such a, it's such a specialized thing, and the people that do it are awful. But, like, You can't imagine yeah. you can be a poor person and doing rhino poaching. It yeah. It seems like a, a bit of an investment to get into that. It absolutely is, and Rhino Horn is stupidly expensive. I I do like that the latest thing they've been doing is they kind of like 3D print Rhino Horn, so that they can flood the market with shitty um, Rhino Horn that people can't properly tell the difference between. That's nice. And that seems to have done the biggest trick on destabilizing the market for it. I'm... Anyway, weird tangent. Sorry. <laughs> of the animals that survived humans' bullshit in Africa. Yeah. Like, w they survived humans' bullshit by basically, like, really specializing into something that really protected them. But we used to hunt megafauna. Oh, and... yeah. I mean, like, well, elephants and rhinos went extinct on other continents because of humans. Yeah. Probably because it was, like, the climate was changing, it got warmer, and humans were hunting them. They couldn't handle it. Yeah. Whereas the elephants in Africa and rhinos and them... Their climate probably changed, but not as severely. Yep. And it also became a thing of, like, you know, there was easier things to hunt. Yeah. Uh, for the populations that were living in those areas. If you live in uh, some snowy crap place, the only thing to eat is going to be the big furry thing that can live through the winter. Yeah. And that was, that was like, exactly the thing. is like, we used to eat those. But my point is that with orcas, if they're hunting other whales, which we know they do... Um, in packs, because that's how they they hunt, like, that is very much similar to the dynamics that we had as a species. Same with, like, having predators that can't kill them if they're on their own, perhaps. Like, you know, a shark or two might be able to kill a lone orca, um, much like we had with wolves or other predators, where if you're on your own, you're potentially at risk. But when we move as a group... Nothing's really going to take us out. Like, you know, especially if we've, like, armed ourselves or prepared ourselves in some way. Um, or because, as far as I know, don't use tools too much, but I feel like that they could be... They use bubble nets. They oh. make bubbles with their blowholes, and the bubbles uh, steer fish in a particular direction, and they can corral the fish and then get them. That's really interesting. That's quite clever. That's that's definitely like that feels like a, a form of lateral thinking, which would be important. Although that isn't necessarily a specific tool use. That's more like something that they're producing themselves. But still, definitely in the right direction. And the fact that like they're learning to knock over things like boats, I think makes for a pretty strong contender. Another, I think, important ability that uh, cetaceans have. That I mean, I'm interested to think about how it could factor into Swiss civilization is sonar. Yeah, they do a lot with their sonar. It's not just making funny noises to communicate and stuff. They find prey. They know where each other is in the depths of the ocean. They can sense whether or not you're pregnant. Like they can, yeah. they can find things out using sonar. It is honestly pretty, pretty impressive. I mean, again, that seems to have been, like, an adapted trait, though. Oh, yeah, like, it's not they... like they've learned some kung fu to let them do sonar, like... Yeah, but it is really interesting, and it the fact that their brains can process that implies that, like, they can process a surprisingly complex amount of information. Um, so they got those big brains. Yeah, so 
I don't know. I, I would say orcas to me feel like a, a pretty top contender. Okay. That that then settles the debate of dolphins versus whales because orcas are technically dolphins. Oh, there you go. So okay, let's let's say I, I think orcas are the top contender in that category as well. Yeah, Even I, more so than regular dolphins. We didn't yeah. talk about regular dolphins a we lot, didn't... but like I don't know, like it. The orcas are bigger and stronger. I don't see regular dolphins beating orcas. Orcas are bigger and stronger, and regular dolphins, which I think most people consider like um, blue nose, is probably one of the most commonly sort of thought of ones that I can think of. Um, blue nose dolphins, they're pretty smart. They move in in packs, but they have certain dynamics that I don't think would be super well suited. Yeah, which is why I think orcas would probably take the the kind of champion that well. They are super rapey, amongst yeah, other yeah. things, which I, I'm not sure if orcas aren't, but... I've never heard of orca rape. But yeah, they they have seemed to have picked up a number of somewhat negative social traits in certain ways that seem to express themselves quite unpleasantly, which isn't great for building a society. Um, I mean, it's not like humans didn't do that, but... I don't know, I feel like, you know, cooperation is really much more the name of the game. And although dolphins have been taught to use things and do things, they've been taught tool use by humans, I don't know of any indication of them doing things like that themselves. I don't know if they do the bubble net thing. I've never heard of other dolphins doing that. I don't think they do. Like, I do know that... and. <sighs> Although they hunt in packs to some degree, it doesn't seem like a particularly like coordinated affair. Yeah, and and you know something to be considered here also is like okay, there's lots of dolphins in the world, lots of different species, but orcas live all over the world. Yeah, you can find orcas in Antarctica. You can find orcas in the Arctic. You can find them off the coast of Gibraltar. You can find them off the coast of here. They're everywhere. Yeah, that's a big factor. Yeah, I think, like, the ability to move anywhere, the ability... Like, dolphins are a little more localized from what I... Or like, regular dolphins. Now, I think the one thing dolphins get for points is uh, they are smaller. And smaller yeah. bodies sometimes is an advantage. Maybe big-bodied orcas are not having an advantage in whatever apocalypse you've got going on. Quite possible. Although, it might be a better thing for them given the continued production of microplastics mm. and degradation of microplastics in the oceans. They can handle more of it. They might be able to handle the toxicity levels better over longer periods. And okay. also the the warmth factor is helpful, especially if we happen to get closer to a artificially like fucking with the ocean temperature difference. Having a bigger body in the ocean can help to speed up and slow down the metabolism enough to survive the really cold parts and... What if the ocean heats up because of climate change and orcas evolve to be smaller bodied and then they have to survive using their wits more and that that fuels the orca intelligence race that leads to orca civilization? Would be really interesting. I Yeah, I could see it. <laughs> well, I've, I'm sold. I think orcas are, are a great contender for the dolphin whale category here. Yeah. Let's put them on the list. They're kind of our next guy. Let's move on to ending another big contender that's going to definitely... People have probably been shouting it during the whole <laughs> podcast. Like, what are you going to get to? The crows and ravens. The corvids. 
Yeah. We talked about it in the, the first real episode of the podcast, Big Brain Biting Birds, about bird tool use yeah. and intelligence. And yeah, we all know how smart crows are. We've all seen the photo of the crow with the knife. Yeah. We, we've seen videos <laughs> of crows mimicking human speech and solving puzzles to get food. They're smart. They really are incredibly smart. Like some of them seem to show the ability to understand the concept of um, water displacement. There's somebody who plays games. I was watching a video the other day of somebody who plays games every day with a crow. Like what kind she, of games? Where she hides food in different like puzzles, basically. Ah. And this crow will come and play the game to get the food. But oh, it seems to enjoy the puzzle as much as getting the food. They're so clever. Like, I remember tree planting and like out on the cut block. You, you have all your food packed up in Tupperwares or whatever. And it was ravens out there because it's further from civilization. And yeah. ravens are even smarter than crows, as we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. Yeah. But they, they could just open the Tupperware like no problem. No hands required. They know how to get in there. And like they wait for you to be far enough away that you can't come back and stop them. Like, yeah. They know. So I would, I would say it's actually an interesting thing, the, the kind of crows versus ravens, because I think, you know, I think that one would come down to whether or not our species blew ourselves up. Yeah. It's like if we died of a communicable disease or something else like that, or we just pissed off um, somewhere, I think crows might take it. They're, because they're yeah. more adapted to like human society civilization they're, and like would live with like, they're they in our with, cities they're yeah. everywhere here they so, thrive off our garbage they thrive off our garbage they know how to navigate our structures our uh, society our civilization to some degree they've been interacting with us for a long time they're solving puzzles on a regular basis with us they see us open things crows are smart enough to open them for themselves and they'd have a, a wide access to, like, our society and what we've left behind. So I think that's a, you know, if if we leave everything intact when we go, I think crows would take it. If we don't, I think ravens would take it. Yeah, ravens, ravens live further away from humans, and they do tend to be more intelligent than crows overall. Yeah. I think they're slightly less, social, like, on social groups, but... They do have them. Yeah, I've never seen a large group of ravens together, whereas you'll see an entire migration of crows across the city every day. Like, yeah. they, they like hanging out in big gangs and yell at stuff. Yeah. Crows seem to have a, an interesting combination of, like, small family units and then larger collections that they go and interact with. Yeah. And, the... and they seem to split up. They, like, kind of come together. Like, when you see the crow commute every day they're coming from all over the city and they all go to roost in the same place out at like sfu or wherever yeah. and then at the beginning of the day they leave there and they all go off to their different jobs around town you know getting yeah. pizza or getting clams or, or whatever it is their scam of the day is it's it's honestly pretty genius like it's it's really interesting as like a social structure and they seem to have like a degree of fighting like minor infighting between them over good spots to get food and stuff. Oh, yeah. But... I watched a crow once in Kathmandu hide a flattened rat carcass in a drain pipe, but like first it like looked all around and made sure no crows were around to see it, and then hid it in the pipe and flew away and then waited and watched. And then when it didn't see any crows come to where it hid the flattened rat, it flew over and grabbed it and stashed it somewhere else. 
and but also checking again and doing because it was like if somebody saw me, I need to like like go and like second hide it so they they might think that oh yeah that crow hid in that drain pipe no they didn't I hid it in another drain pipe you idiot. This is what's so interesting because it's like I wonder if they were hiding it from crows or from some other predatory birds oh, or other that. things. Could be that too, yeah, yeah. Like, but that shows like such an incredible level of intelligence to like not only hide something and keep an eye out for it, like wait to see, but to then second hide it, like go through a whole second process to hide it again, so that just in case you were followed, like what a crafty little bugger. <laughs> yeah, I was impressed when I saw it that day. Um, uh, the crows, you know, they, they're also really good at like protecting themselves. Like I've seen groups of crows bully eagles, owls, yeah, anything. They even hunt small, uh, like other small birds. So wow. like they'll collectively hunt, um, other birds. I've heard a few stories of them, like sadly tearing apart other little birds, but oh, you know, yeah. this is nature. And stuff happens. They, of course, as I think we probably talked about in that episode, they remember things. Yeah, they, they will remember you your wrong face. crow, they'll tell their children. Yeah, and they will fuck you and everyone you know up. <laughs> the, they'll, the rumor will spread around town. They'll tell yeah. all the crows in town. It, it's, uh, it's kind of... Crows have whole little societies. I think it's neat. Yeah, I, I think, like... They definitely, they have the brains, the social structure, it's a, I think they're a pretty top contender, and they do have the ability to move at fair, like, a fair distance. You know, flight gives them a lot of, a lot of options, I think. So, well, you know, because it's very much apocalypse contingent, you know, in, environment destroying versus non-environment destroying apocalypse, uh, we'll just say Corvids. Yeah. Our group, and then it's like it could be ravens, could be crows, depending on how things go. But let's stack them up against another bird. Uh, parrots. So I love parrots. I uh, Parrots are awesome. I think parrots have some really interesting traits to them. Like, they seem to be smarter than crows in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, from what I can tell, they are smarter than crows in certain ways. Like, especially their language processing. Because yep. they actually seem to understand um, what certain phrases mean to a degree. And they're extremely capable of repeating them, which is quite something. People always you know, think, oh, they're parroting it, right? They're just copying it. But the, the, the studies with Alex the parrot, which I'm pretty sure we also talked about in the T-Rex episode. Yeah. Uh, Alex really did seem to understand what he was saying. Yeah. They don't, like, it doesn't always seem to be a one-to-one. -one, so they don't necessarily seem to know what a specific word means often without, like, very specific guidance. But, like, they will parrot phrases as meaning certain things and i have i still remember uh some friends of mine had parrots and they had a bunch of dogs and they had a pig they had a whole like menagerie in their home um but this one parrot used to have the time of its life taunting the dogs because it would be like time for walk time for walk time for walk and then just start cackling as the dogs lost their minds. <laughs> or it would, like, imitate the sound of the food bowl, and then when the dogs would lose their minds over that and all, like, crowd around, again, it would just cackle. So, regardless of whether or not the crow fully under... or uh, uh, parrot fully understood, like, what time for walk literally means, like, every word or the grammar of it or whatever, the, 
The parent knew that this would upset the dog and yeah. found that funny. It found it absolutely hilarious that it would repeat it to just mess with the dogs. <laughs> I love parrots so much. You see this so thing great. about parrots uh, will willingly video call their friends. Oh my they, god! They set great. up some kind of thing. Like researchers, this, they have like a system where parrots can video call one another, and the parrots do it. They want to do it. They like doing it. I love that. <laughs> like I want a, a global civilization of parrots communicating on iPads. <laughs> <just> going. <laughs> <laughs> they're such. They're such incredible birds. I, they, they're and, so friendly, and they live way longer than crows. They live yeah. like eighty to a hundred years. Yeah, some crows. Uh, some. Not, crows some parrots can live like well over 100 years yeah um which is longer than our average uh lifespan and becomes a thing where like if you pick up a parrot you best make sure that you have somebody that you can give it to that um just in case it outlives you because the odds are it probably will probably will yeah Um, i'd just be a shitty pet keeper (laughs) don't don't do that don't be nice to your parrot take good care be a good parrot parent um yeah, I, they, they've also shown some degree of tool use. I don't know really? how extensive their tool use is. I think it's quite minor. Let me look up this parrot tool use. Um, even if it is just, like, using sticks to poke things or, like, scraping things. Um, I, I know I've, like, seen parrots use sticks to, to get at stuff. The uh, Parrots have been noted to use objects to scratch the backs of their heads. Hyacinth macaws have been reported to use pieces of wood inside their lower mandible to position palm nuts in such a manner they are easier to crack. Yeah. Okay. I didn't Again, I didn't know about this. Very, very rudimentary. Like, very, very simple. So it seems like crows have the edge on tool use over parrots. Yeah. Tool use and adaptability, I would say, over parrots. Um, parrots seem to have the communication thing down and, like, actively go through a great deal to communicate where crows don't seem to have quite as complex a language. So it is kind of an interesting thing of, like, parrots, if if they started really shifting adaptability to, like, teaching newer generations, they might have the advantage. Um, but I'm still sort of inclined to think corvids would take it. I think there's, there's more of them. There's, like, oh, I remember looking it up earlier. There's... There's many millions of crows in the world. I don't know how many parrots are, but they generally seem to be, like, a little more endangered. Yeah. The only crow that's endangered is the Hawaiian crow, which kind of makes sense because it's, you know, a small island. But, like, crows are all over the freaking planet in habitats parrots can't even dream of living in. Yeah, because parrots are mostly, like, tropical, and they can survive in slightly less tropical areas. Like, there's parrots that live in San Francisco. Yeah. There are parrots in Kathmandu, which is tropical but also gets very cold yeah like they can survive some extremes but it doesn't seem to be like their preferred environment there are alpine parrots in new zealand mm-hmm. uh you know there's there's places where parrots have filled a lot of different ecological niches but they do seem more specialized yeah they seem like they've more adapted as a subset of the species to that environment like to there's the like general crows kind of like there's different species parrot. of crows but uh, crows are kind of the same all over the world yeah, there's very little by way of, like... They're generalists. ...difference. Yeah. So while I think parrots do have certain edges on crows, especially with, like, language and longevity, I- I'm agreeing. I think corvids probably are more likely than parrots. Ironically, longevity might be something that works against species. 
is another interesting thing. It's like if yeah. your species is too long-lived, it might take you a lot longer to develop the kind of technology to preserve your life and things like that. Mm. You know, you're less likely to, to require more things in order to survive longer. Like a lot of adaptability that we've done is around like prolonging our species and prolonging our own lives, trying to make our lives more comfortable so that we can live longer and more like comfortably. Very similar to if you're a whale and you've got a kind of comfortable life, why would you make technology? Mm. Yeah. So... Okay. Well, I feel like this flows nicely into our next top contender that people are also likely to have been yelling at the podcast. Uh, and there's a, there's a through line here. Uh, mm-hmm. Octopus and squid are kind of our mm. next top contender there. And the reason why we have a through line there is they're so smart. We know octopuses can solve puzzles too. They can, they've tentacles, they can yeah. open up things and all that stuff. They got communication that they do, but they don't live very long. Yeah. So octopi are really interesting. There's, I still love the one tale of like uh, an aquarium where they kept having fish in there. This one exhibit kept being eaten and they couldn't figure out what the hell was happening because it was always after dark and they would just disappear. And the next day people would come in and um, eventually what they did was they set up a bunch of cameras in the place and they saw the octopus open its like in container that they were pretty sure it couldn't get out of. It just opened the container, slid out of a tiny little gap, went across, opened the containers for these other fish, went in, killed the fish, climbed back out, closed everything up, went into their tank and closed it again. And they would just do this every night. It was like, yeah, just like what a, what a, what a smart like creature. So that's interesting because of course there's a creature, they live in the ocean, which is not a bad place to be. But yeah. clearly they can walk on land too, at least for a little bit. They can, yeah. I mean, like... They're probably not great at it right now. They're not great at it, but they have a, a, a crazy degree of adaptability. They can move themselves around, like, enough to get around, which is impressive and a really useful trait, because it means that, like, you know, they can escape predators that are... Things that might want to kill them in the ocean by getting out of it, and things that aren't that are on land by getting into it yeah you know so a distinct advantage over all the other species we've talked about so far none of them are potentially amphibious yeah they also have a really interesting brain structure from what i understand yeah because they have like brains that are effectively part of each limb so that each limb has a, a kind of like smaller brain as part of it that are all connected and then they're connected to its central uh, like central nervous brain system thing. This is something that I think people should be a little more like humans should be more cognizant of in ourselves of like how our nervous system doesn't end at our brains. It extends throughout our whole bodies. And like yeah. the feelings you have in your body are still like part of your feelings. Well, we, yeah, like, you know, our body is an incredibly important part of how our brain works. Um, you know, our brain is, is wired into everything. Like, yes, we technically, most of our thinking happens in the gray matter in our head, but like we have autonomic nervous system components in everywhere. I I believe your next most uh, prominent zone 
of like neural connections and, and, and nerves and stuff is in your like stomach region, which makes sense because yeah. your, your food is there, organs are there. You need to keep apprised of what's going on in there. And yeah. so your gut feelings, you feel them there for a reason. The, the best way that I always understood it is like if, you're, if your brain is like your, your main computer, then like your guts and, and so forth have a different kind of subprocessor that's like kind of a small computer. Your graphics card sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, graphics card is maybe not the bestest breast comparison but because like... Well, in our you know, computers, but, though, we got the main CPU, and then you got this other littler CPU that does something speci- uh, specialized. Yeah, I mean, that that is really, like, exactly what it feels like. And I mean, you know, even if you, like, look at how our brain is sort of put together, it seems like different sections do different functions, and they have similar, like, similar structures in some ways, but they're doing different specialized tasks. I mean, the brain isn't a homogenous organ. It's many different organs working together. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, um, if you want to get, like, super weird to look at, like, ants and things like that, where I was talking earlier about, like, different ants being kind of, like, different synapses, you can look at organisms as being, like, bigger than just a single individual in some respects, and that can be a kind of brain of itself. Like, you can think of an ant hive as, like, a or an ant mound as, like, a single organism, almost. Um much like uh, what's that other there's another species that does that like a queen like bees for instance has some of that same kind of uh concept of just like being an organism that is a hive is almost a little bit like its own organism so you know brains can go anything from well here's one giant lump of flesh that you know controls all the other bits to these separated out pieces that all communicate together in a way that makes for something far more interesting and complex that's interesting because they would have like uh almost like a total body intelligence where they're like in tune with their whole body even more deeply than we are perhaps like yeah they're experiencing things uh i don't know i feel like on a deeper level almost your whole self is like kind of extending out into the world all your tentacles are like tuned into your nervous system and experiencing things like I feel like that opens up a lot of possibilities for problem solving and intelligence. Well, it it feels like their central brain system is almost directly adapted to general problem solving mm. because it's like each of their limbs have this kind of brain as part of it. And I mean, you know, not an expert on this. Oh, yeah, Don't yeah. We're not neuroscientists. But, but you know, go look it up for yourselves, but I the idea of like each of your limbs being kind of knowing what it needs to do and it just needs a vague instruction of like okay well we want to do this and then it can like figure it out itself is pretty interesting because it means that the central thing doesn't have to worry about the complexities of like okay well i need to grab this thing off table so arm needs to move like this this and this so that i can pick thing up it's just like yeah Hey, arm, pick thing up. Cool. Other arm, do this. Other arm, do that. So and that like, would let them do many things at once, potentially. Well, that seems to be some of the things that they're much more capable of, is that they can and manipulate different things at the same time, which is why they don't struggle with, like, um, locks and things like that as as much as other species do. 
because I can just like manipulate multiple different parts at the same time. Wow. It's like, oh, I need to get this lid off this thing, but it needs to be unscrewed first. Well, it's like I can unscrew and lift it at the same time. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can just delegate brain parts to do different pieces. Now, one downside for octopodes and squids and the like is they don't mm -hmm. seem terribly social. Um, so this is an interesting one. They don't seem to have like social groups in the same way, which definitely I think is you know, a, a detractor, but they do seem to have a degree of sociability. They do communicate. And like, there have been cases where, say, an octopus has been stuck to something or had some kind of problem. Stuck, not so much, but had some kind of problem. Um, I've seen one or two videos, and then the, the octopus will just basically go up and almost hug the person. Like, just attaches themselves to the leg for a few moments, and there's like, okay, thanks, bye, and then disappears off mm -hmm. into the ocean. And it's like, there was no reason for it to do that particular thing other than to just be like, thanks, almost, is what it feels Aww. like. You know what I mean? I might be anthropomorphizing things a lot more, but it does seem like there there wasn't a need for that. They'll also be curious and come up to people to, like, say hi. Oh, yeah. And then move on their way. Like I've been checked out by cuttlefish before snorkeling. Yeah. They'll just hover a few feet away from you and just kind of, like, watch you. I, I I think to me that shows the, the beginnings of like potentially complex social structures. And we don't fully know all of the things that they do, but they are a much more solitary species from what we can tell. Now, like uh, I think cuttlefish are an interesting example because they seem to have the most complex uh, language out of any of the octopode. I, mean, I know they're not. They're a different thing. they got more arms or whatever. But, you know, the tentacly mollusks. Yeah. The... I don't actually know all that much about cuttlefish. Well, they're like little squid guys. They're just yeah. basically, I think they're kind of squid. And uh, they, like most, like octopuses also have this. By the way, I say octopuses instead of octopi. I think it, octopi is fake. Oh, I, I don't know. I seem to recall reading somewhere that it, it's not actually correct, and it's, it's just something people who want to sound smart say. Uh, like, <laughs> correcting people. I'm like, uh, it's octopi, actually. No, it's octopuses. Learn Greek. But, um... Oh, I thought it was Latin. Huh? Well, it's octo. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Hey, here's the thing. I am... I am predominantly an autodidact, so I I spent years thinking Maybe I'm that mixing it up. severe is uh, severe was sever. Um, oh really? I once or sorry no se sever was severe. I once did an entire aural on like the mummification of like mummies in Egypt of the pharaohs in Egypt, um, talking about like what they used to do and. I wrote the word sever into it in a number of places and then spent 20 minutes just saying severe every time. Oh. It's like they severed the spinal cord. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to sever something's pretty severe. It is pretty severe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I have... I, as much as I try and have... Uh, I think I have a fairly large vocabulary. A lot of my pronunciation might be a little bit off. It also doesn't help well, that I... Yeah. Words yeah. are fake also, so... Yeah. I mean, I definitely misspoke. Um, and Octo, of course, is not Greek, it's Latin. But um, quick research here shows that the reason why it's octopuses is it's English. And when something pluralize, is pluralized into English, you, you pluralize it Englishy, and you don't have to say the Latin. Latin would be octopi, but we're not speaking Latin. 
for speaking English. Octopuses. But that's interesting because there are a number of other things. Like, not to get weird about it, but like, most people don't say gooses because gooses is not correct. It's geese. Yeah, but they have their own thing. Yeah, but that's the thing is like, we've pulled from so many different languages. We can't stop. We can't just like generic all of them now. Because like, there are other Latin ones that we definitely use the Latin uh, version of. But if octopi or octopuses octopus is an english word based off the latin then i guess but that just feels wrong to me i don't really care it's just sort of fascinating okay quick summary both octopuses and octopi are acceptable plurals for octopus of the two octopuses this is the simpler and more commonly used the proposed plural octopodes is based on the plural of the ancient greek word from which octopus ultimately derives so i didn't misremember it that badly Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Octopodes is a is a, a sort of nice one. It's neat. Um, Anyways, that was a bit of a tangent stunlock. Sorry. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> but there... Oh, oh, so communication. Language. Cuttlefish. Yeah. Cuttlefish, they use their skin, like octopi. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they use their skin. They change the texture and color of their skin for yeah. camouflage, but also to communicate. Yeah. They, they I, communicate with one another. They communicate emotions, it would seem. And if they're upset about something, they can actually signal quite a bit by changing the color and, and texture of their body. It is and a really interesting set of, of traits that they've evolved. And like I say, I, you know, uh, cuttlefish are probably the one I know the least about so far. Um, they're the one, no one talks about them when they talk about how smart uh, cephalopods are. But yeah. there's a period there, I remember like when I was like a teenager, I was like, oh yeah, cuttlefish, they're the smartest. All this research on cuttlefish was the thing everyone was going on about. Hmm. And nowadays it's octopus. I think people like the word octopus more probably. But like, it hmm. seems like other squids don't seem to be as smart. Like when we're talking, cephalopods are basically talking octopuses and, and cuttlefish. Yeah. It seems like they seem to be the two sort of top contenders. Ooh. The way you can tell a cuttlefish, I think, from a lot of other squid is they have pretty short tentacles. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I, I don't feel like I know enough about them to say, like, their social structure and so forth. But if they have more of a social structure than um, octopuses, then, yeah, they could, uh, they could maybe take it. I'm just gonna. Oh, I'm curious. I should. I should have done more research before this. In in the 15 years I've been thinking about this, I mean, I do research, but I didn't look up cuttlefish social structure. I'm just kind of curious. How social are cuttlefish? Yeah, unlike other cephalopods, cuttlefish can be highly social and frequently interact with con, con specifics. I guess that's other cuttlefish pals. Um, they're they're territorial though too, and they will fight. So. That's interesting. I feel like that is a sort of a strike for cuttlefish. Is they're more social yeah. than other cephalopods. Wonder what their problem solving is like. Mm, I don't know. Cuttlefish problem solving. It's the Google podcast. <laughs> yeah, just hang on while we uh, look some stuff up. People are always live researching. I don't care what podcast you listen to. People are live researching on it. Oh yeah, no, I, I, 
So scientists have shown that cuttlefish can count, solve mazes, and remember what, where, and when they last ate. Okay. Uh, they used a reveal learning task whereby cuttlefish were required to learn to associate the reward with one of two stimuli and then subsequently learn to associate the reward with the alternative stimulus. Cuttlefish that delayed gratification for longer had better learning performance. Okay, well, I don't know. I feel like of the two, cuttlefish and octopuses, my money is on cuttlefish because mm-hmm. they uh, they are more social. The group thing, I think, matters. That communication between group members matters. Yeah. And they seem like they're better swimmers. So I think they can migrate around the ocean a little better. Octopuses are more... They, they can swim and stuff, but they don't seem to zoom around like cuttlefish. They, like, have a jet engine that lets them jet around the whole ocean. Yeah, so... I mean, octop- octopuses have, like, short stint movement, but yeah, they don't travel as much. I think the social dynamic is really important. Although... From the sounds of it, octopus octopuses are slightly more intelligent at problem solving. But I guess it's hard to really... I don't know enough to really compare, compare so maybe we should just check, double check that. There you go. Cuttlefish fish versus octopus <sighs> intelligence. It is believed that squids are slightly less intelligent than octopuses and cuttlefish. Okay, well, yeah, we already knew that. That's not what I asked. I said cuttlefish versus octopus. It's not octopus and, and cuttlefish versus uh, squid. You know, uh, Google is terrible at its one job these days. Yeah, I mean, it's because they're AIing it up or whatever, right? It's going to show you what they think you want to see. Well, also that, you know, there's an entire subset of the internet whose entire job is to, uh, is what's it, search engine optimization, which undermines how Google search works. So according to this thing cuttlefish have large brains relative to their body size and they are among the most intelligent vertebrates known to science oh among the most that doesn't mean my thought man that's just it could be octopuses or the top one what's the most intelligent cephalopod uh that's not that's not answering it either google is fail <laughs> yeah I, I feel like this is a question that it would take a while to to really th- know the answer to i think i'm still going with my instinct of cuttlefish for okay. the uh the, the aforementioned reasons sociability jet engine i i'm still inclined to think octopus because of the because i mean we're not the most mobile of species let's be honest we've found yeah, we're, adaptions we're, we're to runners be, we are runners and walkers but like it takes us a long while to get there are so many species that are way faster consistently but what if your reef gets fucked up what are you going to do? Are you going to hang out on your bad reef? Or are you going to go jet somewhere else? Well, that's what's interesting to me about octopuses. Is like I feel like they could adapt potentially better to finding other alternatives without having to leave. And eventually could reach a point where they could like make themselves other ways to get around. But, you know, I think that's one where it just feels like I don't quite know enough to really to really say oh okay well here is a big strike for octopuses Uh i just i opened the octopus section saying that they were really smart but didn't live very long only about five years you know what the average lifespan of a cuttlefish is one or two years see 
this is one of those interesting ones because you also need to live long enough to to really make an impact on your environment. So, like, I feel like it's a difficult one because, like, if you live too short a lifespan, you don't really have the ability to, like, really create a lot of things before you eventually die. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to live too long or else that pressure isn't quite there. But it's it's hard to know what the, the bounds of that sort of Goldilocks zone might actually be. I mean, you know, we're, we're coming from a human context, so we don't know what it means to be an intelligent species that doesn't live, like, 80 to 100 years. Yeah, this is the difficulty, because, like... What would that look like? But either way, like, one or two years, like, that's a big hurdle to get over. Like, you're going to have to substantially change your life cycle in order to become the sort of thing that I think we're describing. Yeah. So I, I have a harder time believing that you can overcome that through evolution. Whereas, like, five years, I know it's not much, but, like, now we're getting into a range where, like, this thing kind of lives a few cycles, a few seasons. And so you could potentially evolve to live more seasons and cycles. Whereas yeah. if you only tend to live, like, one cycle, well, okay, that that's how you work. You you have a cycle, you mate, and then you die. Yeah. Like, that seems like a pretty big strike, I would say. So Okay, so we'll go octopus then. Fine. Fine. I, cuttlefish is an interesting, like, dynamic. And I mean, you know, with enough of them working together, maybe they could build something. But yeah, I do think that sort of one cycle thing is a problem. Well, that's already getting to be a mouthful of podcasts. What do you say we split this one into two episodes? I think that makes the most sense. We, we've we got a lot of ground to cover here. A lot of water to cover here, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, tune in next time for the conclusion of Earth's Next Top Life Form, where we'll, I'm guessing, go over some more species and summarize our ideas about it all, and then see if we can come to some kind of conclusion about who's most likely to be Earth's next top life Yeah, thanks for listening to our very long uh, Earth's Next Top Life Form episode. Uh, Obsessive by Nature is made possible by listeners like you supporting us on Patreon. If you like this podcast and want to see other things we're working on ahead of time or join the Discord to have discussions with us and other fun members, you can go to patreon.com slash lifeofbria and support us for just $2 a month and you get access to all sorts of stuff ahead of time as well as just helping us make all kinds of wacky different artistic projects. Yeah, we're working on some fun stuff at the moment. Oh yeah, there's always new things coming out. We got videos, we got models, art and comics. It's a whole art production team we've got here. And this podcast is just an outlet for our, our screaming brains. Yeah. We just always have too many things going on that needs to get dumped somewhere. And so thank you for letting your ears be that dumping ground. We appreciate it. We really do. Well, Jenna. Well, Bria. I guess we'll, uh, we'll see everybody next time. Um, be good. Have fun and kill all your enemies. <laughs> A little extreme, but I'm here for it. Bye. Bye.